You're very welcome to another episode of An Irishman Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan. I hope you enjoy this upcoming extract from one of our classic episodes with the national treasure that is Columini. To hear the full hour-long interview and more deep-dive chats with hundreds of the greatest Irish people ever to have left our shores, along with our other series, such as An Irishman in America with Marion McKeown, or our true crime series, Irishman Behind Bars, and lots, lots more, sign up for premium Irishman Abroad over at patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. It only takes a minute. And for less than a fiver a month, you'll gain access to everything. And you can walk around with a spring in your step, knowing that you helped this series survive and grow through these difficult times. Our chosen charity partner is Jigsaw.ie. Jigsaw are a youth mental health charity that works to provide young people back in Ireland with the mental health skills they will need to survive in life. Since the pandemic, they have seen a 400% jump in demand for their one-to-one and group services. With their phone line, their webinars and their new website, Jigsaw.ie are making a huge difference back home across all communities. Why not take two minutes to visit them and to see if maybe they can help you or someone in your life or maybe through a donation, you can help them. That's Jigsaw.ie, the chosen charity partner of An Irishman Abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's go down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and learn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! As it goes out, like the first few weeks were almost like a kind of a novelty, you know. It was, it was, um, and I sort of, I, I don't know, I, I felt a kind of a, a almost a relief uh, that you know you didn't have to do anything, and that's what you're supposed to do. Usually, when you're not doing anything, you feel guilty, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know, uh, you feel like you should, you know, there should be something going on in your yeah, life yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But Itchy it was, feet. it was. Yeah, and it was kind of like, well, you know, I'm supposed to do nothing, so it was kind of <laughs> nice and relaxing. And then, uh, and then now, with you know, six weeks in, it's starting to get a bit tedious, and you know, you 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 do want to, you know, it'd be nice to get. But I, I mean, I, I was reading. Oh yeah, I was reading a review of um, Pat Frayn. Uh, he's a TV reviewer in the Irish Times. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's he's talking about reviewing something, and he was talking about going into a. And he walks into a pub, and in brackets he said, "How I'd love to walk into a pub," <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. And yeah. I just thought, I know exactly how you feel, pal. You know. Yeah, and he actually yeah. in that I know the piece you're talking about, and I actually 
I've had Patrick Frayne's brother on the show. And oh, really? A, yeah, and he's brilliant. They're both brilliant writers. And he mentioned that thing in one of his pieces. I think it was about uh, Tiger King, that they could just show footage of the outdoors. and <laughs> People would yeah. watch that now. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're exactly. very much you're very much in a, a beautiful part of Spain, uh, yeah. close to, yeah. you, you know, the sea. It must be extremely difficult when, you know, the, one of the main reasons you moved there was to be close to the outdoors and have that access. It must be ridiculously hard then to kind of feel that that level well, of trappedness when there's so much. Well, out no, there. we're actually fortunate here. We're, I mean, we're, we're, we're just outside a little town called Santa Maria. It's about 12 miles, 12 kilometers north of the of Palma. Mm. We're actually, we got a lot of space around us. You know, we have, a, we're, we're outside the town and we got, we got a lot of, uh, we've got eight acres here. So we're, we're, we're very fortunate in that way and that we, we can get out and walk around the place and, okay. you know, sit outside and, you know, have a coffee and a cigarette out in the terrace and, you know, things like that. So, you know, we're very fortunate like that. It, but it, as I say, it, it, like the, like the only outings we've had in six weeks have been, um, you know, just down to the grocery store and get, you know, get some food and mm. uh, that's it. I mean, going into, you know, I, I think it was in Palma twice in six weeks uh, where you just kind of snuck in and have a look around to see what's open, basically. Yeah. And there's nothing open. It's a ghost town, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us have done that little nose around to see, mm-hmm. is this real? Like, is mm-hmm. th- is this happening? Now, Ed Guiney was on the other week from Element Pictures and he was talking about the future of uh, and studios looking into, well, would it be possible to shoot stuff somewhere down the road using some form of social distancing or testing on site people involved have you had any talk about that have you heard anything about those kind no, of well, things? Funny, a, a, a buddy of mine uh, Jake Weber terrific great actor Jake Weber he was on uh, Helen Wheels with me and uh, Jake got a contact at me last week and said listen there's a friend of mine she's a producer and she's this is from Los Angeles now and she's trying to set this thing up where she's trying to shoot a picture basically online you know she's trying to shoot a picture about the coronavirus and basically the premise is a writer had set up all to all these interviews he's researching a book and he had set up all these different people to do mm. interviews with it with so it would be done you know through Zoom. you know either facetime or skype or whatever so uh, i had a look at this They'd only, there was only 28 pages of the script ready and i had a look at it and it was it was pretty good i mean it was pretty, you know you could i certainly it was it was worth reading whether it would be worth watching now i'm not sure and and what the you know technical <laughs> quality of it would be but uh you know people yeah people are sure you know are are, are being imaginative and and, um, you know, trying stuff, I think. Yeah. yeah, I guess that is the the thing that we know about art is that it does emerge from the most unlikely places. And often the best stuff comes from darkness and, and real, yeah. real sadness. Yeah. Do you yeah. do you have a memory of the light going on in your head as a youngster living in Glasnevin? Do you remember a, a thing you watched or maybe a couple of things that made you go, "Wow, that's something I would give anything to do." Yeah, well, there were there were there were a few things that that um, kind of made me 
you know, yeah, that that's sort of that's a good description of the light going on in your head. I remember watching the reckoning the great John McGrath, who I was very fortunate later to work with, but he wrote a picture called The Reckoning. It was a play originally uh, with Nicole Williamson, the great Nicole Williamson. And that just, and I was young, you know, I was like maybe 13, 14 when I saw it. And it just blew me away. And the other one was um, the Lindsay Anderson picture, If, with Malcolm McDowell. Mm. You know, it was about a bunch of kids, you know, taking over a, a, an English public school, uh, you know, high school. Yeah. And uh, that completely captivated me and, uh, you know, made me, I mean, but both, but both as a kind of rebellious teenager and as, as uh, you know, wondering, oh, I, you know, how do you do that? How do you get to do that kind of mm -hmm. thing? And mm -hmm. trying to figure that out. I think a lot of, yeah, the, I think a lot of athletes we've had on have the same experience that there's a moment where you go, oh, oh, look, that's an achievable thing. Was it the thing with if the the fact that there were youngsters in it? Was that? It? Yes, I think so. I think so. And it was, I was set in the school. They were taking over the school. They were taking on the adults, as it were, you know, hmm. I think that was a huge element of it. But I, I didn't. I mean, you know, I don't think at the time I thought something like that would be accessible to me necessarily. I think, I think, I mean, the way I came to acting, to thinking about being an actor was more kind of local. It was, it was, my dad used to take us to the, like one thing we did, one theater thing we did every year as kids was go to the, uh, to the Irish Panto at the Abbey, in the Abbey, you know, at the Peacock. Mm. And, and I remember seeing, you know, Donald and McCann and TP, TP McCann and, and, and that, kind of was a fascination for me too and, and but, but it was I, I you know and the first person I ever asked advice about how to become an actor actually was Donald who later became a great friend but um uh, McCann I he he I was working one summer as a lounge boy in uh, the Parnell Mooney Mooney's in Parnell Street there just opposite the rotunda mm. and um he was doing something at the gate, I think. He was rehearsing, and he used to come in at lunchtime. And I remember going up, going up and asking him, how, you know, how, how do you, how, excuse me, how do you become a, how do you be an actor? <laughs> and he was, he, was, he said, listen, the, the only, he says, the only way to do it in this sense, go down to the Abbey, go down to the Abbey School of Action and see if you can get in. So that stuck with me. And a few years later, I, I, I that's what I did. So, uh, so let me ask you this, because I get asked, uh, you know, a few times about you know my choice was was comedy you know I chose to be a stand-up comic when Ireland was in the boom times and I think it was much more like people were doing mad stuff like people were opening up <laughs> surf shops and stuff like that so people were kind of taking bold leaps into the unknown but when you made that choice that that's kind of a transgressive act were you anti-establishment were you Very, guy, yes yeah yeah yeah, I mean, I was very political as well from very young, you know. I mean, I joined Sinn Féin when I was about four, 13, 14, you know, off my own bat. Mm. And I was, you know, involved in the the Russell Cummins and Sinn Féin used to meet in Gardner Place, the old headquarters of Sinn Féin. And uh, I was, you know, I was fairly, fairly involved there, you know, for, for a few years. But I was I was definitely political. And we set up, we tried to set up a, a, a secondary schools 
students' union in the school as well. So I suppose in that way it was kind of aping if in some ways, you know. Mm. But also it was just after the, you know, the 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 '68 and then and and you know the Paris uprising and you, you, you know Daniel Cohn Bendit and Rudy Duchk and people like that were very, you know, much on our minds, you know. Yeah, it was, it was in the air. Sort of a, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I I often wonder, like when you're, you know, you've you've talked about people telling you, even your mother telling you this is never going to work out. What what was working out, though, in your head? Like, uh, I don't imagine that you thought I'll, I'll be this version no, of Colin no. that you know now. No, very much. So. I mean, it's, it's still even still, you know, in a funny way, it's sort of like you, 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 you know, you've been doing it for 40 years and you still feel like. You know, how do I get away with this? Almost <laughs> in a funny way. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a bizarre. I mean, you because because you, you know, obviously you develop a confidence and an mm. ability to do it, and a you know over the years. But um, but there's still that sort of you know thing of 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 uh, you know, wow, I'm getting away with this, or wow, I'm I'm uh, um, how you, you know. I know what you mean. I can't believe this is my job. Yeah, yeah, in a funny sort of way, yeah, yeah, yeah. So even then, so when the question is, how did you picture it? You didn't really have a picture of it working out. You just no, thought I I'd didn't. like to have a no, happy life. No, it was, it was very much, and it wasn't, I mean, I, I, it wasn't like making a career decision. It right, wasn't like right. making, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It was like, this is what I want to do now. This, right. is, this is what I want to try and get in here, you know, into the school of acting at the Abbey. And then it was like, I want to try and get in, you know, it'd be great. If, geez, if I got into the company, it'd be amazing. Because the attrition rate was huge, you know. Mm. There, there was there was maybe 40, you know, 30, 40 uh, students in the, in, the, in the school and maybe one or two would get into the company, you know. It was that kind of and so, so each step along the way was, and I was very fortunate as well that that was that the the Abbey School was a great training. You know, it was like an apprenticeship because you were, you did backstage. You know, you did ASM work and you did maybe small parts, walk on parts, in, in in some of the productions. You know, so you were you were around a professional theatre company and seeing how it worked, and that was great. You know, it was great training. Um, the story of how you got in there is is. Is very <laughs> of the time, <laughs> I think. Isn't it? I mean, you, yeah, Pan, Pan, Pan Lamb just died a couple of years ago. It was, it, it was extraordinary. It, I mean, it, I, I, it was, you know, at the time it didn't feel that way. It just felt like, you know. That's how things oh, got fuck done. It, I'm going to do this, you know, <laughs> yeah. and 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 and, and uh, like, but walking into the box office of the Abbey and asking, and oh, Mrs. Cook, you know, she was there for years and years afterwards. Mrs. Cook, uh, and I, you know, got to know her very well over the years, mm. and and she just said to me, uh, "Well, you need to see, you need." To see. Oh, look, there he is! He's coming in the door now, you know. Father <laughs> <laughs> Lamb, that's that's the man to ask. He's the head of the school of acting, you know. So I went over and asked him, and he looked at me and panicked with his usual sort of uh, the old grin on him, as we used to say. (laughs) (laughs) Can you come down on Tuesday? (laughs) Tuesday. Come down Tuesday around five o'clock to the Peacock, and we'll we'll have a talk. So I did, and and I had nothing prepared, no pieces. Like, there were people in doing auditions with pieces prepared, but I had nothing prepared. But he had me do a few improvisations and took me on, so... Again, there's a, there's a light bulb moment there as well. Obviously, while you're in mm-hmm. the school, because like you say, you're you're dipping your toe in and seeing, well, this is what I want to do right now. But 
you need to kind of find something in you where you lose yourself. Do you remember losing yourself and kind of forgetting everything around you for the first time on stage? Well, in the school, there were there were exercises. I mean, there were things we did in the school that were that were great. I mean, they had Dorothy Alexandria Alexander come over from um, the Royal Shakespeare Company to do voice sessions with us. And you know, I started doing things like you know, learning about breathing and learning about movement and and mm. and, and these kinds of things. And and they that was that they were kind of extraordinary for me. You know, I really kind of got into that and sort of thought this is wow I didn't know this was what acting was about you know mm. um, so there were moments like that but um, I don't I suppose you mean like a, a performance where you felt you took flight or, or yeah or, I, I, like actually Paul Meskell was on who's in that new great series Normal People and he, he, he right. said it was like you know when you go out in a football pitch and everything kind of falls away uh, and uh, countless people have talked about this kind of in the zone or in flow no there have been moments like that in theatre over the years where I have felt that yeah I mean but but it, it wasn't like a sort of a I don't I can't quite remember the first time but there were there were there have been moments where um, you know and it's not very not very many yeah where things totally click I, I remember mm. like I did, I did a year on Broadway with um with Derek Jacobi in, in the 80s, it was 87 or something, a play called Breaking the Code. And Derek and I would come off of the intermission every, every and look at each other and go, eh, eh, mm, eh, eh. <laughs> and then And then at the end of the show, we'd have the same thing. And I think there were in the, over the course of a year, there were maybe four or five times we felt, yes, 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 yeah. that was, that was really, you know, that was humming, you know. Yeah, so, in some ways, is it the chase of that? that you fall in love with the actual belief that it's so hard to get that 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 is what you, the pursuit is actually what you're you're falling in love with yeah perhaps certainly i mean in, in the theater you know i think that's that's the case you know so uh the shows that we're on here the title of it is an irish man abroad and i guess the understanding and the that time in ireland that was what you did, right? There was, if you were going to do this thing properly, mm. you were going to go away. Was that always in your mind, or was that no, slowly no, no, revealed no, to no, you? No, 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 no. Just slowly, slowly revealed to me. Um, no, I mean, I was. I mean, my as I say, it was like you know the the, the try to try and do this. It was almost a day to day thing, like you mm. know, try to get into the school, get into the school, into the company. And then, you know, then the, the sort of, well, I had friends, you know, who went over to London and, and that's where I went first. I went to London first as well. But at the time, there was a very much a, a um, I mean, it's hard to believe the difference that, that took place in Ireland between the seventies and even the nineties, you know, over that 20 year period. Like, and, and nowadays, like, you know, there's, there's young actors from Dublin, uh, you know, they go to Los Angeles for pilot season and stuff mm. like that, you know? Yeah. But, but it was very much a thing in the 80s, it was still, or the 70s, it was still like, if you went away, you kind of, you'd left, you were gone, and that was it, you know what I mean? There was no toing and froing. Yeah, yeah there was no Reiner. 
So and, and even to London, I'm not talking about going to the going to America. You know, even even going to London, you were sort of like. And I was, he used to make me laugh. You know, you would, you'd, you'd, if you came home, you'd pop into the Florentine Tide to see the guys, you know, chatting, and invariably, you know, hey, here you are, you're back, yeah, yeah. Yeah, how long are you staying for, or uh, when are you going back? When are you, you leaving? Know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a, so it was. It was. It was kind of. It was almost like if you if you go, you've left the tribe, and that's it. You're not part of us anymore. You know sure. I mean? Yeah, you checked out. Yeah. yeah so so, yeah, so yeah. the the first thing that's listed is Z cars on BBC One. In, Z cars. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nineteen seventy eight. Uh, oh fuck! That is a. Uh, that is your first taste of TV, right? And yeah, the BBC, yeah. like, if you think about it, yeah. I don't think people right now understand that if something was on BBC One, it was watched by literally every soul with the TV yeah. in England yeah. at the time. Did it yeah. feel big? Did it feel like, oh, this is it? <laughs> well, I'm it did, doing well, it. I tell you, but I tell you how that came about. Was actually, when I went when I went to London, I got involved with the Half Moon Theatre. It's a fringe theatre in the East End, down Algate East. Okay. And there were various people working there that I worked with numerous times, including Pam Brighton was a great. Uh, she since worked up a lot up in uh, in Belfast uh, with one of the feminist companies up there. But Pam was, Pam was a, a hot director as well on the fringe, you know? Okay. And she asked me to, to then to do a show with her in, uh, with 784 England. 784 England was being reestablished. Uh, are you familiar with 784? No, explain, explain no. that. Well, 784 was a company set up by John McGrath, the playwright. And John, John had written great, The Bover's Gun, The Reckoning, yeah, these great plays. And then they were made into films. But, but, uh, usually he worked with Jack Gold as director. Jack Gold was a great English yeah. director of the 60s and 70s. Um, and John was... Of, of of the left, he was a socialist, and he decided that he and he also he also created Zed Cars with Jack Gold, uh, and he decided that um, the business of writing and producing plays or TV shows or films was to communicate ideas in his estimation, and he started to realize that the the, the difference between film and television and the theatre was that theatre was an active experience, whereas film and television was a passive experience. Mm -hmm. Basically, was you know to put it crudely. So he wanted to, he wanted to develop theatre. He wants and he wanted to develop a particular type of theatre that was a working class theatre. Right. That 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 addressed issues of the working class in an entertaining and accessible way. And that was basically John. So he set up 784 Scotland. He was married to Liz McLennan, a, a, a Scottish actress. And they set up 784 Scotland first in Edinburgh. And 784 is a quote taken from The Economist of the late 60s, that 7% of the population of Great Britain owned 84% of the wealth. Right. So essentially the 1% theory now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's gotten, it's gotten way worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and and then John set up 74 England. And, and 74 Scotland was a, f a huge success. They did a famous play, The, the Chivy at the Stag in the Black Black Oil, that was a huge hit internationally. And that actually uh, played in Dublin uh, as well. So, anyway, Pam asked me to go with her to 784, and I did. I joined 7, and I became part of 784, and it was run by a collective. 
you, you know, a, a, a committee, I suppose sure. it was. But we we were much hipper, you know. We called it the collective. <laughs> so so um, and that was I was with you know I worked there. We were we did was three years with, and the way we worked was we had basically a company, a core company uh, of six actors and four musicians. Uh, there was always music in the place. That was one of the things John felt was what made a play accessible. And we would sit down, we would, we'd, you know, sit down and have a two, two week session and brainstorm and decide what we want to talk about, what issues we want to try and deal with. And then John would go away and write a play around those issues with us in mind. So, you know, it was an extraordinary, I mean, both artistically and politically, it was an extraordinary time for me in terms of my development because, you know, I was doing something I was politically, you know, excited by. But also having a playwright, a great playwright like John McGrath, write parts specifically for you as a young actor mm. was huge, you know, huge. Massive. And nobody gets that. Like literally no, nobody, no, no. nobody gets that. It was, it's funny, my, my, my older daughter, she, she went to Yale drama school. She did her postgraduate at Yale, Yale drama school. And in theatre, she said, hey, dad, I was reading about you in theatre history today. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> But but uh, they they had they, you know they had they were seven eighty four came up in their theater history course and you know shows they did and the, you know obviously I was my name was listed there a number of the shows and um, but it was um, I mean yeah I mean nobody knows about that yeah today. and I mean your your career so many aspects of it are really well covered and people always want to ask you the same questions. But that really, that period there that you were describing is 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 the making of you. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I, you know, and I've said that so many times in so many interviews. But they don't. You're right. They don't want to hear it. Really, <laughs> you know, uh, no, because no, and I always say John McGraw made me the actor. You know, the actor I am because he he made me do what we used what we used to call front cloth acting. You know, yeah. Explain that. I've heard you say that a couple of times. T- well, tell, it's, tell it's me what that means. I mean, actually, Stephen Stephen Ray uses it in a podcast at the Abbey as well. The old the old days you do mm. like yeah. It, it'd be basically like an old uh, sort of melodramas like, you know, the Chakron or whatever, you know, the Pusico plays. Mm. The, basically, in the old days, what they do is they, they, they a front cloth, like a, 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 a back cloth would come in downstage right. with the scenery painted on it. <laughs> and you would play a scene there of the play there while they were changing the scenery behind it. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. And it was called a front cloth. Gotcha. Right. So, so, and the front cloth actually, the way you played a scene like that was because you had no depth to the stage. You were down right to the front of the stage, which you played it out to the audience, and you, you, you know, you, 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 you played it out front. Mm. And I think you know, until I met John and started working with John, I think I was, I was a very you know, introverted type factor. I would have been very, you know, I didn't have that theatricality that you need in the theatre. That's just out know? of shyness, is it? Um, I, I think it was also a, a sort of an instinctive thing about truthfulness or something, you mm-hmm. know, being truthful to uh, 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 that, you know, get, revealing yourself. You know, 
Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, I think yeah, a lot of things involved in that, but it's, it's probably something to do with revealing yourself and, and a certain amount of shyness and confidence and technique and, you know, all those things. So he's writing these parts specifically for you. I believe one of them was a, a young lad who was addicted to weightlifting, something that's yes. actually a thing yes. now. <laughs> but yes. yeah, yeah. What, uh, yeah. Tell us a couple of the other characters, because, I mean, this, this period to me just seems... So interesting well, and so yeah, uncovered. Well, we all played multiple characters in all the shows as well, you know? I mean, everything from, you, you know, I was playing that, I think he was supposed to be like a 12 year old, 13 year old. What age were you at the time? And I would have been like 20, you know? <laughs> okay. And, uh, right. yeah. Right. And, and, you know, but I mean, you played everything from kids like that to old ladies, you know, in these shows. Right. Okay. You know, you literally ran the gamut, you know, um, because we all did, you know, like, like there would be multiple characters for all of us in the shows, but there would be probably one one sort of, you know, central larger character and the rest would be kind of quick little bits here and there, you know, but it was, it was, it was sort of sophisticated agi-prop, I suppose you call it. <laughs> and you obviously fall in love with the people that you're with there uh, there's a comfort in it the fact that the parts are being written for you but when does that kind of come to an end and when does the thing that we mentioned at the start of the show when do the itchy feet begin well it wasn't so much itchy feet I mean I was was going along with that really happily until um, it was basically Margaret Thatcher fucked the whole thing up Um, you know funding for the arts started to get very very uh, scarce when she came to power and 784 actually went into uh, we, we took a break and I, w- I went over to another company that had been there it is that's just the beginning to hear almost 60 minutes more of this conversation and hundreds more full-length Irishman Abroad episodes and shows join us on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad help support the creation and continuation of this series for years to come. For less than a fiver a month, you'll gain access to all our episodes, shows, live events. And for a limited time only, everyone who signs up in the first two weeks of August will get my brand new stand-up comedy special, Notions 11, shot by my favourite director, Mike Donnelly, in Vicar Street in March 2020. That's hundreds of hours of entertainment, inspiration and laughter for less than the price of one of your fancy coffees over at patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. I want to say thanks to my ultrasound producer, as always, Brian Connolly, to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible. And finally, to our chosen charity partner, Jigsaw. Jigsaw.ie are a youth mental health charity that is changing and saving lives across all communities back in Ireland. Now, more than ever, they could do with your support. Go to Jigsaw.ie to see their great work, get some help with the young people in your life, or maybe... Through a donation, you can help them.